What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today's Thursday, December the 7th, 2023. It's episode 182 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can also listen over on YouTube, search bar Matt Bernie or show. You'll get this episode along with the 181 prior. As always, please rate, review, subscribe, thumbs up, thumbs down. You know the drill by now. A little bit of a longer break than I had initially anticipated coming off of Thanksgiving. Last week, a number of reasons, but ultimately I was on vacation. I had a, a week off and there wasn't a great deal for me to to spin. I wasn't looking at races, certainly wasn't looking at races on my time off. And I just didn't think it was worth kind of stuffing a show out there just to stuff a show out there. So the updated kind of run of schedule, there'll be this show and then two more to wrap up the year and we'll wait and see how 2024 shakes down. But uh, we are into the final three episodes of the year. It'll get us to 39 total for 2023. I hope everyone enjoyed their holiday break and knowing that we've got holidays coming up soon. And actually, maybe the timing of this will work out well, where if the last show is around December 21st, it can get you through the holiday sort of thing and we'll go on from there. But as far as this week's show is concerned, I'm going to kind of just take a look ahead to 2024, early 2024, with the Eclipse Awards. And I know I kind of touched on this a few episodes ago in terms of Horse of the Year, who deserves it, laying out all the the thoughts and the cases for each one of the runners. I, I reserve my right to, to change my opinion, but I, I felt like this is a good opportunity. This is the first time in a few years that I have had a vote for the Eclipse Awards, and I intend on just telling you how I'm going to vote. And there's really only one category that I'm not, entirely convinced on and it's the big one still and we don't need to totally rehash that but we'll save that one for last so we're going to talk about the eclipse awards very curious to hear what all of your opinions are about who is most deserving and if i'm missing anyone or just completely dismissing someone that i should be giving a little bit more credit to in terms of year-end honors and then we will wrap up looking ahead to this week in the national football league Currently, as I'm recording this at 20-9 on Thursday night, the Patriots are playing the Steelers. And last I had seen, the Pats are up. They're up 7-3, to three, which is not good. Not good. We want losses. We want L's. No more wins for the Patriots. Give me a top-two pick, preferably so they can take Marvin Harrison. But now it sounds like he may go back to school, which, good on you. Get your education, but... I just don't love the idea of having to correctly pick. And they wouldn't even really be picking. It would just be taking whichever quarterback is left over because statistically, it really only works one out of every two times. So give me the surefire thing or the thing that sounds like a surefire thing. And Marvin Harrison Jr. sounds like that as far as the wide receivers are concerned. I know you need to have a guy that can actually throw the ball to him to really utilize him, but I feel like things get a little bit easier if you can just get one of those proper weapons, which the Patriots don't have. We will get to football at the back half of the show. Let's talk about the Eclipse Awards. I do think many of these 
divisions are cut and dry. I don't think there's anything too crazy really to get into. Uh, some others, I guess maybe there's a little bit more room for interpretation, but let's begin with the two-year-olds. Let's start with the two-year-old male. And by the way, I'm only dealing with the horse-specific honors. I'm not talking about any human honors. Uh, another conversation, you know, I'm sure many other pods will have those sort of opinions out there, but I'm sticking just to the equine athletes. The two-year-old males, it seems like it's fierceness. I can't imagine how it, it wouldn't be him. Coming off of what many of us have suggested is the most impressive juvenile victory since Uncle Mo, who was also owned by Rapoli Stable and trained by Todd Pletcher and ridden by John Velasquez. His debut was so good that his his champagne was so bad and just just really wretched, if we're being honest, that he went off at 16-1 in the Breeders' Cup and he won like a 1-5 to shot. Going forward, he becomes an, a really fascinating horse to decide what you think of because in the back of my head, I'm always going to sit there and say, well, if I know you can completely lay an egg, not just show up and, ah, you know, he didn't deliver his best, just not run. That's a little alarming at a short price, but in terms of talent and what he has done on the track, he has the single best race as a two-year-old. So uh, to me, he is very clearly the two-year-old male, the clear two-year-old female. Well, I don't know how good I actually think she is, and that's not meant as a slight to anyone. Just FYI is she has to be, I think, on the heels of the Frisette and then following it up with the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. Not sure I think that it's a spectacular group that she defeated that day out at Santa Anita, but at the same time, she's done nothing wrong. So uh, I, I don't I don't see any reason why or why you would even want to try to justify playing against her. Pun intended, justify, just FYI. Uh, let's go to the sprinters. Male sprinter, cut and dry. It's elite power. Arguably the best race of his career came in that Breeders' Cup, and I was wrong, hand up. I've said this a few different times. I... I just didn't think he was quite the same horse, and all he did was go out there and strut his stuff and win for fun. So he deserves to be the male sprinter based on his accomplishments throughout the course of the year. Same can be said about the Phillies with Goodnight Olive. Now, Goodnight Olive is probably the first one where there is an accomplishment I don't think you can vote against her. In terms of talent, and in an odd way, this is going to... This year's college football playoff is going to become sort of the, the poster child for these sort of arguments. Is it talent or is it accomplishments? Because Florida State had the accomplishments, but with their backup quarterback in, do they have the talent that stacks up with, insert whichever team you thought should have been on the outside looking in and instead got in, most notably Alabama. But the idea of, Goodnight Olive has the accomplishments. She also has great talent, but when she took on Echo Zulu, she got absolutely dismantled. Now, Echo Zulu, I don't know that I think did enough to earn the divisional honors, despite beating Goodnight Olive on the square and doing it rather comfortably. But... Really, I guess it does boil down to how much you think the Breeders' Cup is, I don't want to say the end-all, be-all, but 
how much weight do you put into that event? Because if you think it's just another grade one, I don't say that lightly, but if you think it's just another race, another graded stakes race, then you could make the argument, I think, that Echo Zulu should be champion female sprinter. But I, I think in totality, what Goodnight Olive did warrants year-end honors for the second consecutive year. Turf runners. The male turf runner, uh, there's no doubt in my mind, up to the mark, is the winner. Uh, I don't think anyone's really all that close. I suppose you could look at the Godolphin horse, who for whatever reason, his name is completely slipping my mind right now. He won the Breeders' Cup mile. He won the Woodbine mile. He finished second behind up to the mark. Master of the Seas. Took me a minute. We got there with the help of Google. Master of the Seas, I, I, I don't know that I can vote for him over, although this is going to go the other way around, right? I'm about to say, I don't know that I can vote for him over up to the mark because up to the mark defeated him on the square. Well, how can I say that about that division when I just said I don't really think I can vote for Echo Zulu despite the fact that she defeated Goodnight Olive on the square. The difference is Goodnight Olive came back and won a Breeders' Cup race. Echo Zulu didn't run again up to the mark while he didn't necessarily win his Breeders' Cup race. He ran a valiant second. And Master of the Seas, yeah, he came back and won next out. And it happened to be a Breeders' Cup race, flattering the form for up to the mark. So that's why I would go with up to the mark. Would I be, you know, irate if someone decided to go with Master of the Seas? No, probably not. But to me, you found out at Keeneland who the better horse was, and I think it was up to the mark. He would be my selection for male turf runner. Female turf, this is probably the the more sort of uh, juicy opinion that I have. I, I would go with Inspiral. I know she ran here one time, but when you compare her to the domestic fillies and mares on grass if if we're just calling it like it is our girls didn't win consistently in italian really didn't win that much this year she ran very well but she was defeated multiple times and many of these other horses i just don't know that i think have done anything to warrant divisional year-end honors in Spiral, beat all the best of the best here in the U.S. She also beat some of the best coming over from Europe, and she did so spectacularly. So I'd go with In Spiral. I'm usually not one to take a horse with one race here in the U.S. and say, that is the best of the division. But in a division where I'm not overly impressed with anyone, and she won the marquee event, give me her. I'm going to put In Spiral on top for the female turf. Uh, Three-year-old males, Archangelo, to me, is the only one that really merits too much consideration when you look at the rest of the field. As far as the grade ones are concerned, I I think he may have been the only dual grade one winner off the top of my head. National Treasure running second in the Dirt Mile, I think, is more an indictment on the Dirt Mile than it is a feather in his cap, and we'll get to that more in a little bit. Um, but Archangelo... You know, we also didn't get to see him run in the Breeders' Cup. For all we know, 
he can win or at least be a legitimate competitor to White Barrio. I don't know that he would have, but it's entirely possible. And if he does, then many conversations change. But to me, Archangelo, he deserves three-year-old male, three-year-old female. There's only one, in my opinion, and that is pretty mischievous given everything that she did throughout the year. And another one that, unfortunately, we didn't get to see her run in the Breeders' Cup. Um, she got a little bit colicky, so she didn't get to go there. But I think she is the horse most deserving of that year-end honor. Older horses, older male. Uh, it, it's Cody's wish. I think it is. And if it's not Cody's wish, it's White Barrio. My problem is White Barrio does not have the volume that Cody's Wish does, even if I don't think this version of Cody's Wish was as good as last year's. I don't really know who else you could throw in the conversation realistically. Elite Power is already going to get his award in the other division. I, I, I think it's Cody's Wish or White Abario, and to me, I would go with Cody's Wish on the whole. Maybe White Barrio. Yes, he beat him on the square. Maybe he did run a little bit faster in a couple of spots, but I, I just, I would go with Cody's wish in that spot. And for the older fillies and mares, there's really no two ways around. Idiomatic, just, you know, it, it, it's really difficult to have any kind of rebuttal to the campaign that you put together. And even from a a horse of the year standpoint, which we'll get to momentarily. I think in many years, she's probably right there. I'm going to unfairly hold it against her that I think that distaff this year was an absolute shit show. I just think it was a terrible race. And she got through on class alone, which she deserves credit for. But to see them crawl home the way that they did it just was not a race that inspired a lot of confidence or a lot of, I don't know, positive feelings from me. I watched it, and it's the only real Breeders' Cup race all weekend. I went, oof. Thankfully, that one's over. And I don't mean that in a negative light to anybody involved with these horses. I know how difficult it is to get to these points and to be successful, especially in races like this. Um Certainly not meant to be a knock or, you know, a disparaging remark about the horse or the connections. But from a handicapping standpoint, we can all look at the race and go, my God, that last quarter mile, you could have timed it with a sundial. They were all exhausted. And she did all the dirty work and she was able to hang on. So again, she deserves her flowers for all that. But at the same time, it's just a matter of like, I don't think it was a very good race. But she is the best older female in training, and she deserves older female. In other years, maybe she is right there for horse of the year. Maybe she ends up being a finalist. I don't think she wins it this year. I, to me, it's Cody's wish or it's up to the mark. Cody's wish is going to win. That seems like a foregone conclusion. If we strip emotion aside, and I bring up, let's say... Put it this way. Breeders' Cup. What's more impressive? And this is not an apples-to-apples comp, but just what's more impressive? Defeating National Treasure by a nose in the Dirt Mile 
or losing to August Rodan by what? Call it a, a length or three quarters of a length in the turf. My answer is obvious. In, in my heart of hearts, I really don't think it's that close. Which of the two feats is more impressive? But I realize I'm probably, I think I'm stating a fact, but I don't think it matters. I, I just think the groundswell of support for this horse and what he's done and what he has meant, not just for the obvious reasons with the Dormans and, and all the, the positivity around him, but over the past two years, he has been one of the best horses that we have had in the United States. Does he deserve Horse of the Year? For sure. He is, he is on the short list. Do I think he was the best horse all year that ran here in the United States? No, I don't. I think the best horse was up to the mark. And I know he's a grass horse versus a dirt horse, and that's another conversation. What do you weigh more of, or how do you kind of assess the difference and separate the two? But I still don't know. I'm probably going to vote for Cody's Wish. For, for again, for the, the very clear reasons that folks will and I don't want to say should. No one should, air quotes, should vote for anyone based on a multitude of reasons. You vote who you believe and what you believe. But I, there is, I would almost feel a little, not disingenuous, but I, how could I vote a horse horse of the year if I don't think he was the best horse? Really, I don't want to say at any point because the first half I thought he was very good. And then he, I, I felt like there was a pretty substantial step back in the second half of the year. And he was still able to overcome it all. But I thought up to the mark from day one was elite of the elite of the elite. And maybe I just keep talking to myself trying to convince myself aloud that just vote who you think the best horse was but i've still got some weeks to decide let me know beneath the video player on youtube or on twitter at bernie or underscore matt who you think deserves year-end honors in all of these divisions if you agree disagree let me know why and, and who you would substitute for any of these horses that i did not include now let's take a look at the upcoming week in the national football league that is going to wrap up this week's show. I'll try to keep it relatively brief. Um, it's been a wild season so far, and you know you can find other podcasts out there, and they'll tell you X, Y, and Z about different teams and this, that, and the other. And um, Admittedly, I, this is probably the least locked in to watching football. I've been in many, many moons, combination of the change in schedule where I'm just not readily available on Sunday afternoons now. I'm working to watch all the games. I usually have an eye on what's going on, but I'm not locked into them. Um, but the good news is in terms of the, the modeling for me, and I would like to think most models, there, there really is not an eye element that goes into it. That That's not really how modeling works. There are inputs and then you get an output. And uh, thankfully, I don't really have to worry about actually watching the games. This spits it out for me. So here we go. Uh, starting with the game tonight that is currently ongoing. Again, it's the uh, Pats and the Steelers. 
as we are recording this, it is early in the second quarter. It's seven to three New England. I had a projection of twenty to fourteen Pittsburgh. Now twenty for Pittsburgh seems like an impossible number with Mitch Trubisky at the helm, but uh, then again, fourteen kind of seems like a crazy number for the Patriots and Bailey Zappi. So twenty to fourteen is what I had for a projection: Pittsburgh over New England, Carolina at New Orleans. I have the Saints winning twenty-three to fifteen. Uh, Indianapolis at Cincinnati. I've got the Bengals winning twenty-two to twenty. That's with Jake Browning. The Lions at the Bears. I, I, mean, I hear a lot of people like sounding the alarms on the Lions. I'm not here to tell you that I think they are spectacular. I maybe they do lose this game, but if they lose to the Bears, I think the Bears suck. And I know it was a close game in Detroit a few weeks ago. If this is a need-to-win kind of game and the Lions come out and just scrape by, I know the last three weeks, really the last three weeks, right? Because you had the Bears game, you had the Thanksgiving game, and then you had last week against New Orleans, and none of them were impressive. If you don't show up with your A game here, I know the weather sounds like it could be a shit show, and you're on the road. You you, you have to go out there and strut. You have to. I'm winning 25-20. to 20. Texans at the Jets. When I first saw the line at FanDuel, I believe the line is three and a half in favor of Houston. And I like Houston. I think they're good. I was like, God, that sounds really, really short. They're going to have Zach Wilson, a quarterback for the Jets. And, you know, I know there are some injuries with with Houston, but I I still think they're much better than that. And then I ran all the numbers, and I actually have Houston winning 20 to 17, which would mean that the three and a half with the Jets would be the way to go. Um, I won't bet the game. Because, the, well, A, there's not enough of an edge one way or the other there. But um, this is where a little bit of the head, I look at it. I'm like, I I buy into Houston. I have really, you can listen, go all the way back to one of the earlier shows during the season here. Uh, I started buying in early on this team because I just consistently had them rated higher than a lot of the teams. And I'm a little surprised to see it come back, this number. But it is what it is. And, and if you're a team like Houston, it doesn't help us from a gambling standpoint, but they're just trying to get W's. They don't need, you don't need style points. Get out there and win because the next game, the Jaguars at the Browns, I think Jacksonville loses. Trevor Lawrence is hurt, even if Lawrence played. So put it this way. I initially had a 20-19 to 19 projection Cleveland beating Jacksonville. I now have 20-17. to 17. So I've got Lawrence right around two points, give or take a couple of tenths of a point uh, with his unavailability. Presumably. I can't imagine he shows up for this game. So 20-17 to for me, Cleveland over Jacksonville, which going back to the Texans-Jets game makes it that much more important. Just by any means necessary, get it done if you're Houston. Uh, The Rams at the Ravens. I've got a big number on this one. I've got Baltimore 27-17. to I know there's some love for the Rams. Maybe I'm off on the Baltimore thing, but I... Uh, yeah, I've, I've just got a, a big discrepancy here. I think Baltimore is a much better team. Tampa at Atlanta to Dog Babies. I've got Atlanta winning twenty to nineteen. Uh, the Vikings at the Raiders. I've got Minnesota on the road winning twenty to nineteen. Or excuse me, twenty two to nineteen. Seattle at San Francisco. Another one where the line seems huge. I believe it was eleven and a half. And guess what? I have twelve. I have San Francisco thirty, Seattle eighteen. The Bills and Chiefs. Interesting spot, interesting game for both teams. Um, wild story about Sean McDermott. 
wild story. If you've not seen that, uh, you can Google it and find it. I, shocking. Wild isn't even the right way to put it. Shocking. Uh, the Bills as a team, you know, I had said at the beginning of the year that I thought they would take a step back. I thought it would just be a, I, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, a, an across-the-board step back. They have been so wildly inconsistent up and down that it's almost like they kind of played at a level of their competition where they get up for big games and then they have these these lulls against shit bums. I, I don't know what you want to do with them here. And then Kansas City on the other side of things, I just... I. A lot of people are like, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? From jump, their offense has just not been that good. I guess whenever you've got Pat Mahomes, you're always in with a chance. But I have this game at 23 to 23, and I believe currently the line is Buffalo plus one and a half on the road. So, you know, maybe that's something to consider. Maybe you think about taking them out, right? Because I do think they have to win the game. They absolutely have to win the game. Kansas City is still in very good shape as far as the West is concerned. Buffalo, you want to have any chance to get into the postseason. you got to win here. Uh, Denver at the Chargers. I think the spread here is two and a half off the top of my head. And I've got L.A. winning 26 to 20. I know the Chargers. Let all the jokes roll. I, I just I think they're better than their record suggests. And their coaching sucks. They're going to fire Staley and all those guys at the end of the year. They have to. Because um, you can't just keep burning off good years of, of Justin Herbert. And try get him some more, some help. Keenan Allen's been great this year, but you've got a number of guys that are dinged up, and they're they're always on the injury report. Just and by the way, Keenan Allen is past has always been on the injury report. Um, God, I want the Chargers to be better than they are. Philadelphia at Dallas. I've got the Cowboys twenty eight to twenty four. That should be a fun game. Uh, and then two on Monday night. Green Bay at New York. I've got the Packers winning twenty two to fifteen, and then. The other game, I, th- I thought about going to the Titans and Dolphins game. I am in South Florida now for FanDuel TV. I will be here until the beginning of April. And next week's pod, you may hear some background noise because the family will be here by then, my wife and my kid. But for now, I'm solo until Tuesday. And Monday night down the road, Titans are playing the Dolphins at Hard Rock Stadium. So I thought about it, but last I had seen, the tickets are astronomical. And to go see a game that two teams that I don't particularly care about are playing, I know the Dolphins are the one seed in the AFC, but um, kind of hard to justify. We'll wait and see. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe I have a great weekend at Gulfstream. Cash some tickets, and then at that point, just say, screw it. I'm going. And I don't mind a, a solo sporting event. I don't do it often, uh, but when I'm on the road, I have done it in the past. I went to the Valspar Championship, which is a golf tournament, a few years ago by myself. Uh, it was the Valspar that Tiger played in. So, top of my head, maybe that would have been... 18, something like that. And then years and years ago, when we were shooting the Horse Players reality show, 
Um, I went to a Pelicans game solo on my own. I don't mind taking in some stuff solo. May look like a loner. Guess what? I am a little bit of a loner. I like quiet time. I like being by myself and taking some things in. So maybe I do go down to the game on Monday night. I don't even know if I said the score. Uh, I have Miami winning 28 to 18. And the spread is 12 and a half, I think. So um, we'll see what happens there. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't go down there. But uh, there you have it. My assessment of week 14 in the National Football League in terms of projections. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for checking out the show, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or on SoundCloud or over on YouTube. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. And we've got two more shows this year. And hopefully by the time the last show airs, we'll have a little more clarity on how things are going to go for 2024. But we always appreciate the support. Please subscribe to the In The Money YouTube channel. Subscribe to all the In The Money pieces wherever you check out your podcasts. Until next week, welcome back with episode 183. This has been episode 182 of the Matt Burner Show. Best of luck. However you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play.